walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast. This is episode 18. I'm Dave Whitson. Thanks for finding us. We're going to stay close to home today because you don't have to fly across an ocean to find a sacred walk. More tracks are developing or being recovered in North America, and I suspect the same is true for our listeners in Australia and other parts of the world. This episode centers on California, the place of my birth and a great source of inspiration for me. As I'll mention again later in this episode, you can't grow up in California without being immersed in the stories of its missions, of the work of the Spanish priest Junipero Serra, and El Camino Real. I feel like a big part of growing up, as I sit back and reflect on my childhood in California, is that you learn to repurpose or recast events from that childhood, discovering new meaning in earlier events that may have seemed innocuous or just not quite as critical at the time. I spent a lot of time in San Luis Obispo on the central coast of California. My grandparents lived there. My grandfather taught at Cal Poly. And in the center of San Luis Obispo's beautiful downtown is the mission San Luis Obispo de Tolosa. And I remember being drawn, not just to that mission, but to others up and down California. And now, years later, having walked the Camino, you know, it all lines up so nicely, drawing me back to the missions in a new way with the desire to walk them someday, something I never considered when I was younger. I was drawn to them for different reasons, but now, now they fit with this new passion of mine. Fortunately, others have been putting in the hard work to recreate El Camino Real in a new form as the California Mission Trail. And today's episode focuses on two of them, each a trailblazing thru-hiker, who has documented their walk in service to future walkers. Ron Briery of Eagle Point, Oregon, and Stephanie Dodaro of San Francisco, California, are major advocates of the route, who have a lot of valuable advice to share on the practicalities of walking, as well as some stories of their own. And so we'll hear from them in this episode. First Ron, then Steph. And I hope it inspires some of you, whether in the USA already or maybe dreaming of a California vacation from abroad, of walking the missions someday, of pursuing your own pilgrimage in America. So that's the plan. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I'm speaking with Ron Briery, the author of California Mission Walk, A Hiker's Guide to California's 21 Missions Along El Camino Real. And uh, we're going to talk about this developing walk in our own country, in the USA. Thanks for talking with me, Ron. Not a problem. So what are the California missions? Those of us who grew up on the West Coast or in California are familiar with these, but others might not know about them. What, what should they know? Well, you know, there are missions actually in, in other southern states, too, is like mm-hmm. Texas has a bunch of them, including the Alamo is one. But the ones in California, uh, well, all of them actually came because 
after Columbus discovered America, and that all belonged to Spain at that point, they had to figure out some way to hang on to it. And Spain's not that big a country, so they couldn't, you know, export enough people to, to cover the whole area. So they did a pretty good job of converting people in South America, Central America, and then they needed a way to uh, hang on to large portions with less people. At least this is the gist I get on it. You know, I'm not a historian, <laughs> but by uh, starting the missions and converting people to Catholicism and introducing them to the Spanish way of life, then they kind of Spanishized people. Mm-hmm. And that worked pretty well in, in Mexico and South America, but they didn't have as much luck with it in California, but they needed to get it going anyway because the U.S. was moving across the country by by the 1700s, and also Russia was even into California and moving down. So that was a handy way to cover large tracts of land with not a lot of people and still complete their their mission at the same time. Mm-hmm. Could you describe a couple of your favorite missions for me? What stand out and what makes them memorable? Well, there, there are different ones um, that have, you know, different highlights. My two favorite missions are probably Mission San Antonio de Padua, which mm-hmm. is on Camp Hunter Liggett, mainly because it has just hardly been... It, it's the only mission that people think that if Father Sarah was here today, he would still recognize just the way it is. <laughs> and also La Purisima is another one. Uh, he wouldn't recognize it because it was founded after he died. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a, a state park and was uh, completely reconstructed by the CCCs back in the 30s. And so they even, like if you go into the chapel there, there aren't even pews because that's the way it was back then. Wow. You know, it, it's really kind of left historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but others, you know, like Mission San Miguel and San Juan Batista, I especially like them just because of the town. I mean, the, the mission is the center of those towns, so it's still like walking into an old mission town, kind of sleepy and laid back. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that are just out of the way that the people are so friendly, uh, like Mission Soledad is just a little jewel out there. A lot of people don't even realize there is a mission. And some things, when you read about the missions, it says that that's just ruins, but it's not. You know, it's it's a great one. Santa Barbara is probably the prettiest. <laughs> Carmel is probably the most important now because that's where Father Sarah, uh, his remains are. And mm-hmm. now that he's a saint, I, I can see a lot of hikes ending at Carmel coming from north and south. Yeah, it's really striking the variety that you have some, as you said, out in the middle of nowhere and others like San Luis Obispo that are right in the middle of a of a thriving town. Right. It shows the influence that the missions had. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that was an accident that the mission ended up in the middle of town. I, I think it was the mission was there and the town grew up <laughs> right around it. Right. Just like also um, Mission San Gabriel, you know, had a lot of influence with Los Angeles because that was the closest Pueblo. Mm-hmm. So those were pretty important also. So I grew up in California and I have a strong memory of the missions, as lots of Californians do. I'd never really thought about walking them. And so I'm interested in how you got into this idea. How did you get drawn to the California mission walk idea and what's your background with it? Well, you may need to put your feet up because this might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> but but our uh, our youngest daughter uh, married an exchange student, and he was from Madrid. 
<laughs> and so, you know, they live here. Actually, they live in McMinnville, Oregon, where mm-hmm. the Spruce Goose is. But yeah. his parents invited us to Spain. Well, that, that was a great idea. But <laughs> we didn't want to just hang out at their house for long. And it was about that time my wife had read the thing about, uh, the name will come to me soon, but the Camino. Mm -hmm. And so we went over and we just hiked part of that. Well, then we were hooked. So we went back and hiked the Camino Francais all the way from St. Jean-Pied-de-Port and on to Finisterre. Mm -hmm. And then we came back some years later and did the Via de la Plata. And er every time you come home, people would say, well, why do you go go over there to hike? Isn't there someplace over here? Right. And, of course, there isn't just like that, but there's places that seem like they're close enough that they should be. And the California missions were the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even mean to say that it's the same height because they're not. It just seemed like you needed to figure out what you had and how it would work. So, like you, I had grown up in California. I moved to when I was 19. But still, you know, they really pound that into you in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah. So that was always there. And when I would talk to other people about it, they were always interested in it, including on the Aquino Santiago. And so one of the pilgrims that I met there, Beppe Sala, who was from Italy, had hiked all the way from Italy to Santiago. I said, well, if I ever got that hike put together, he would like to do it also. Mm-hmm. So I finally got it all plotted out and emailed him, and, and he came over. And he and my wife and I all started from San Diego. And my wife took a couple of weeks hiatus in the uh, middle there while she went home to be with grandkids during spring break. She wasn't going to be beat out of that one. But then she joined us back later and finished it. (laughs) So that was kind of the draw. And it had not just a draw for me, but you would talk to people from other countries and they were all interested as well. In fact, we have a hike we're organizing one for September and it's, there's about 25 people in it starting from San Diego and we're just going to do a one week hike because people can take off one week, but not, you know, two months to do the whole thing. Right. And so we'll be hiking from San Diego to um, San Juan Capistrano with San Lu- Mission San Luis Rey in the middle there. And we have people from Mexico, not lots of people, but some people from Mexico, some people from Canada and about, four other states besides California that will all be taking part in that. So mm-hmm. it really has a draw other than just some bumpkin like me thinking it might be a good idea. <laughs> and this is a really recent development, the recovery of the walk. Where does that process of recovery stand? You know, if you go back 30 years on the Camino, people were walking on highways primarily, and then the, the yellow arrows came back and it got off road. What's the walk like currently in California? Well, it's any way you can connect the missions, you know. <laughs> so when when you're hiking through L.A., yeah, you're going to be on sidewalks, mm-hmm. you know. And what's funny is that has turned out to be a favorite part for many of the people that have hiked it because mm-hmm. Los Angeles on foot is so much different than Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, than the whole L.A. area going by on a freeway. I mean, it's much different. It's surprising how, how friendly people are as well, you know, if, run into a lot of that, and people interested in what you're doing and things like that. But the further north you go, it seems like the more laid back, and I'm not sure primitive is the right word, but um, less urban at least, you know, more rural. When you first leave San Diego, you're going to be on sidewalks, a few pedestrian bicycle paths and stuff like that through little canyons wherever you can catch them. And a lot of it's along along the beach. There's even a few places on the freeway, like you're familiar with San Luis Obispo. Well, mm-hmm. 
heading up out of uh, San Luis Obispo, you can add, you know, an extra three miles and go up through Poly Canyon, but it's not really the very close to what the El Camino Real was. Mm-hmm. So it's it makes more sense to hike up the side of the the highway until you reach there's a little uh, real estate office there and a tunnel that goes underneath the highway and then you go up old the old stage road which meets up at the top of the pass and then then you're on old highway and then you can follow railroad tracks uh, so you're actually on, only on the highway for a couple of miles and it's it's a wide shoulder there you get further north from there once you get over that you're technically in the Salinas Valley starting at you know like a task at arrow on and there's a lot more farms and stuff along in there. So at that point, you can start walking on some of the little field roads even. It's just a little bit of everything. It's whatever it takes to connect. You mentioned starting in San Diego. Is that the standard to go south to north? And when is the best time to be walking? Well, to me, south to north is the only thing that makes sense because, you know, I'm not particularly religious. I'm not Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm basically hiking that for historical reasons. Well, California started in San Diego as we know it today. You know, that was the first mission. That was mission number one right there. Mm -hmm. And then the missions went north from there. And the very last two were uh, Mission San Rafael and and the one in Sonoma. They were Mm -hmm. number 20 and number 21. And so they're the furthest north. So if, if you follow that direction, it makes more sense that way. You don't hit every mission in order because they would build a mission, then come back and build more in between. Hmm. But basically, you're you're going in that direction. Also, it makes sense like the time that I did it as a through hike. I started in like March, hmm. and at Beppy and I and and my wife Sandy, and so that would be too cold if you were in the north, probably. You know, right. but if you're in the south. You know, things break sooner in the south. So then as you go north, the weather is breaking in front of you. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get, that'll get you through the hottest part before it's too hot. And then uh, on up to the the end, you know, and, and fairly good weather. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. I mean, it doesn't always happen. I'm sure this year is certainly would be an exception to some of that. But, but that's the general plan. Lots of Spanish pilgrims will walk the Camino in sections. They can get a week off at a time. Americans might be less inclined to do that because it just costs so much to get there. But this is a route that would be much easier to do in sections or to do a piece of it as you're doing in this upcoming walk. So with that in mind, are there a couple of sections, maybe four, five, six-day sections that you would recommend that people use as a as a short-term walk on this yeah, and let me mention one other before I do that. So yeah. if I get sidetracked, get me back to that. <laughs> but talking about walking in sections, there's uh, one of our mission walkers is from right near Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. And she will get a cheap flight out. She watches it real carefully and flies out and will walk for about a week or so. She'd never done any camping before, but she knows that's a, a good way to do it. You can camp probably 50% of the time while you're hiking. So she brings her tent with her, hikes all by herself, and we'll hike for a week or so, and then goes back home. Then a month or so later, we'll come back out and do another week. So (laughs) she's planning on completing the whole thing that way, section at a time. She also walked with a group last year from Sonoma. We did it in reverse order and came from Sonoma back down to Carmel, and we were there the day that 
Father Sarah was canonized. Nice. So that was like the first official pilgrimage kind of into Carmel after he became a saint. Hmm. And so she only has a little bit left to finish from uh, San Miguel to Carmel. Nice. And that's probably the hardest part. It's uh, the most challenging but it's also kind of neat because it builds confidence if you do it. If someone was doing just about a week, though, I would say probably the Monterey part. Mm-hmm. If you start at Carmel and then uh, you follow the coast down over, there's a, a nice nice trail there, the um, Monterey Peninsula Trail, Recreation Trail, I guess is the official title, mm-hmm. which goes along the coast past what used to be Fort Ord, and then um, cross over, and this is on a county... I believe it's a county road uh, to Salinas. And then from Salinas, you can drop over. There's a, a road only open to pedestrians and bicyclists and, and horseback riders, which is actually the old stage road that goes over San Juan Hill, I think it is, into uh, Mission San Juan Batista. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like four or five days right there just from one mission to another with that goes past farm fields, goes over some hills. You get a taste of what it might might have used to have been like you get the coast yeah. and then from there you you could continue on through like watsonville on to santa cruz and even over the mountain there into to santa clara that's all out there it's, it's close enough to services where where you don't have to pack food for days and days you know you just get meals as you go along maybe carry a lunch or something mm-hmm. but that is a real practical one to do that sounds awesome how do the missions feel about the recovery of this route? Are they supportive of it or involved in it? You know, the missions don't really communicate with each other. Huh. I mean, that seems odd, but they don't. Maybe some of them do because maybe they're all under the same diocese or something, but there aren't many of the Franciscan missions still. Mission San Luis Reyes Franciscan, and so is Mission Santa Barbara, I believe. Then there's a couple of them that are state parks, so they're on a different program. Mm-hmm. One of them is Capuchin, and then there's a lot of them that are just their own little one. There isn't much communication between them. Now, as far as backup and supportiveness, the one thing that they all listen to is the Mission Foundation, the California Mission Foundation. That might not be the exact title, mm-hmm. but they're they're pretty good about coming up with money for projects. You know, it's like E.F. Hutton. When they talk, they listen, <laughs> you know. So that group is trying to get international recognition for El Camino Real. But they're they're doing it differently than, than in Spain. In Spain, it's just, here it is, and it's an international site, and that's great. But they're trying to, and they're starting in Mexico, Baja, where it's easier, um, actually, you know, survey all of the old trail and get it pinned down to exact points and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that if they do that, it, it won't be as flexible. It will be harder to say, well, I'm hiking the trail. So I'm I'm not as crazy about that. You know, I like the way they did it in Spain better. Mm-hmm. But but like I said, they, they are working on gaining international recognition for it. So if they do that, it'll be a better thing overall, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. also, just as important, is people working on the De Anza Trail. Hmm. I mean, there's actually money going into that. And much of the De Anza Trail is the same as El Camino Real. Oh. Not entirely, because uh, De Anza came in at about Mission San Gabriel, and then took, you know, with the, um, I believe the Mexican immigrants, and that's when they settled San Francisco area. You know, mm-hmm. that's 
pretty much when they established Mission Dolores in San Francisco. And um, at that point, that didn't include all the missions on each side. You know, there were other little missions. It would have taken in like San Luis Obispo and mm-hmm. and San Antonio and Carmel. But that would have been pretty much it. Now there are all the other missions alongside of it. But still, if if they do get that established as, as a trail for especially bikes, pedestrian kind of, well, that's going to greatly simplify what there is to complete mm-hmm. for uh, the mission walk. So that's the part I'm trying to watch closest right now. Yeah. It seems like, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm dreaming of an albergue style system in the missions. Is there any hope or plausibility of a mission opening an albergue for walkers? You know, not so far. And it's, it's something every, every Camino should be like kind of different. When we first started camping, nobody was too crazy about that idea. But I, I, you know, I pointed out it's a real California thing. You know, I've got an old joke that kind of explains it all that when the um, people came out during the Dust Bowl and then people came out to visit them in California, they were amazed that people in California ate outside and crapped in the house, you know? (laughs) This is just the next extension of that. You might as well sleep out there, too. (laughs) So last year, there were about three people that were interested in camping, and this year, we've got over a dozen lined up that are planning on doing that when we we do the hike. So I think that would be a good thing to hit initially. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, each mission would have and I haven't been able to get this across to anybody <laughs> because the ones that are, are the most helpful also seem to have the least amount of money, you know. So of course. they have to watch the bucks pretty close. But if each mission had a recreation of a little Indian village with mm-hmm. the type of hut that that particular tribe used, well, those would also double as a place where peregrinos could spend the night when they came through. Hmm. And it could be a moneymaker for the mission as well as well as being historically accurate. Mm-hmm. So I, I always thought that would be a, a good idea. Mm-hmm. I've always told people that the mission walk is just the opposite of Field of Dreams. You know, Field of Dreams is build it, they will come. You know, mm-hmm. this one is, come on, come on, they'll build it. You know, so <laughs> it, uh, that's my idea. I, I am sure that even 30, 40 years ago, all of those albergues weren't, weren't along there. You know, right. it was not until people needed them in Spain saw they could make some money doing it that that happened because we hiked it first in 2002 mm-hmm. and then we hiked again in 2003 mm-hmm. and the trails had already changed to be safer in just a year you know yeah. the trails had changed to be safer and there were some bigger albergues you know they had converted some other schools mm-hmm. so people walk it today and think that's the way it's been forever but i'm, I'm sure it's not even in France, which is next door to Spain, there there were a few, but for the most part, there weren't albergues that you could just walk in and throw your sleeping bag down. You had to have reservations for gîte de top and all, all of that, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about the possibility of doing it in stages, and that's definitely an advantage to having it close to home. I'm wondering about some of the other advantages and even disadvantages of doing a pilgrimage or a walk in your own country instead of going abroad. How has walking in the U.S. been a a different experience for you from walking in Spain or France? In Spain, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're really fluent in Spanish, you know, it always seemed like you're just a little worried if you're going to get the next thing taken care of. Mm -hmm. In the U.S. or California, 
you're not so worried about that, although there are places where you have to speak Spanish or be able to communicate at least with someone that only speaks Spanish to get by. The other thing that I find much easier is that, you know how pack, how heavy packs can get? Well, in Spain, lots of times your pack is heavier because you're afraid of what might happen and you don't know if you can get that there. Mm. Uh, like in the way of insoles, an extra set of insoles, or all your bandages, or if there's a certain certain medicine that you just buy over the counter here, but you're not sure you can get there. And that doesn't take long to add quite a bit of weight. So over here, I find you can carry less, but still feel confident you're going to be all right. You know, Within a day or so, you're going to be by a drugstore. If, if you have real problems with your feet, I, you're going to be able to lay back for a day or two mm-hmm. and uh, get after it again. So it's, I think, a little bit more relaxed. One thing that I really like about hiking the missions, I mean, this isn't just, it's not a thing that really about hiking over here as compared to there, but compared one Camino to the other. Mm-hmm. And that is that with 21 missions, you have a goal, you know, on an average of every three or four days. Mm. You know, you don't have, at the end of 30 days, you make it, or maybe you won't. You know, it's like, Okay, and I've got this carrot to get to the next mission, and I think I can do that, you know, in, a, in yeah. the three days. Even if the disadvantage is that if you come up lame somewhere like between San Miguel and King City, you're not going to find a little bar down the road in, in <laughs> eight kilometers, you know, where you can soak your feet or something, and you, you might be a while before you get to the next place. Mm-hmm. There's some of those places where it's pretty much a, a day apart going through that portion far as a place to stay or or to get food either one mm. so each one has advantages disadvantages it's yeah. just uh one or the other what are the best ways for interested people to learn more about the walk well i may be biased but <laughs> i think the uh california mission walkers facebook page it's mm-hmm. called california mission walkers and it's a facebook page and i think almost everyone because there, there's over a dozen people now that have done the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And every one of them, with the exception of, I think, maybe two, one being Beppe Sala, who in Italy isn't on Facebook, and, and there's one other lady who hiked. There are two ladies that hiked it together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of them's on it, one of them isn't. But with the exception of those two, I think everyone that has ever hiked it belongs to our Facebook page. And there's almost always, like right now, there's a couple that are hiking. They just started from San Diego a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And so we really encourage people to post daily, and, and they're doing that. So you can kind of follow their hike along and get an idea of what it's all about. It also has information on there about my guide. Actually, I have two guides, one that goes the whole thing from south to north. Mm-hmm. Then I have another smaller one that just covers the area from north to south and with reverse directions coming from Sonoma back to Carmel since that's, well, I can see that as being a pilgrimage from now on. Gotcha. With Father Sarah there, yeah. And to belong, we have little requirements. To join the Facebook page, we, we collect people's name, hometown, zip code, and email address because by having zip codes, we arrange our list according to zip code. Mm -hmm. And then you can find out if someone else might live somewhere close to you that is also interested. But you can also look up the zip code of a mission 
and then see who has a zip code close to that and then contact those people to ask specific questions about that area like is there mm. any road problems right now or anything like that so it's a, it's a good way to communicate mm. unfortunately when people request to join ours goes out through facebook messenger because that's the only thing we have to contact with and it seems like somehow those get lost between us and them. Yeah, there's a separate folder tucked away for messages that you have to like go through message requests and filtered requests. Facebook makes it really hard sometimes to get those messages. Yeah, I just got the information from one lady that I'd sent the information to uh, two years ago. <laughs> and she, she just finally found it. And that's not really uncommon. Yeah, Lots of times you'll find it where they haven't found it for a year or something. I don't know how they finally do, but... It's a tricky thing, man. Well, this is great. This has been really informative. Thanks for talking with me about the the work that you've done with this route. Uh, my pleasure. Always like to spread the word. I'm speaking with Stephanie Dodaro from San Francisco, California. Stephanie has a really interesting background that has brought her from walking abroad to actually walking back in the U.S. Thanks for talking with me about this, Stephanie. Um, thank you very much for having me on, Dave. I'm really excited. Glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to you uh, so much so mm-hmm. that I just cut you off because um, <laughs> you know <laughs> you've uh, you've been working on this route, the Camino Real in California, and um, mm-hmm. I'm, I just really want to learn more about it. So, what inspired you to work to recreate a walking route on the Camino Real in California? Well, it's a little bit of a winding story. Um, I was never a big walker or a big nature person as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of, you know, grew more uh, to appreciate nature and getting out as I got a little older. But one thing that stuck, always stuck in my head was after college, a good friend of mine went to Spain and she worked as a nanny in Pamplona. Mm-hmm. And she told me about these people that would come <laughs> through the plaza and they were pilgrims, and they were walking all the way across Spain to the to the end, like mm-hmm. the West Coast. And I remember hearing about that and thinking how nuts that sounded. <laughs> you know, I didn't think, you know, I actually didn't think you could physically walk that far. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought your body might fall apart. And, you know, like, of course, people have been walking for thousands of years. Armies walk thousands of miles. The Romans, you know, if you think about it, it's, you know, what we're made to do. But, you know, mm-hmm. at the time, I just thought it was amazing and Kind of nuts, and um, <laughs> but it rattled around in my head for many years. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to around 2010, um, I was working in San Francisco, and I'm born and raised here. So after I got an MFA in 2005, and mm-hmm. I started t- taking these jobs that were high paying but really not satisfying in order to kind of pay down my debts, my student loans, and to be able to uh, afford to live mm-hmm. here in San Francisco, which is becoming increasingly expensive, and sure. then. In 2010, you know, I just kind of hit a wall and I was like, I don't like what I'm doing. I kind of feel alienated in this town. It was like, what do I fall back onto? You know, how do I take my way out of this? I was like, well, you know, religion is not something I was Mm -hmm. raised Catholic, but it's not something that I follow. I rejected it kind of at an early age. Then, you know, something popped in my head. It was this walk. And I thought, oh, hmm, (laughs) look this walk up. You know, because I thought maybe maybe what I need to do is just like take a long time, get away, and 
kind of find myself. And I didn't want to go to have someone carry my stuff like at Machu Picchu or Nepal. That seemed kind of kind of appropriating and just, you know, I wanted to do it all myself, you know. <laughs> and so I looked up this yeah. walk and it was, it turned out to be the community of Santiago. And, you know, I just kept researching it and I thought, maybe I could do this. And it just seemed, it seemed great. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you have your house on your back, you walk through the countryside for, you know, weeks. That's just your, it's your only focus. You, you know, you get perspective and meet people from all around the world who are doing the same. And I thought, you know, something was also very touching to me was, I had some reservations because I was like, well, it's a Catholic route, you know, and I, I was raised Catholic, but, you know, I'm, what it, I thought maybe I would be doing it inauthentically. But then I thought about people that have walked down the road for so many thousands of years. People before it was a pilgrimage route, it was a Roman trade route, and it mm-hmm. probably had another purpose before that. And it's had many, many mm-hmm. you know, people have walked it for many different reasons after that. And so just to contemplate, like, all the humanity that's walked on the same road, that seemed very touching to me. So then I thought, you know, I'm in California. Why do I have to go all the way to Spain to do this? You know, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> and then I, you know, I, was, I kind of went to the Camino Real and I was like, oh, that's, that'll be a really long way. That's at least 700 miles. And I, you know, I thought like for sure I, I couldn't do that. So, and there's no, at the time there was no, you know, nobody, nobody had put anything on the internet at that point. So it wasn't, you know, there was no, Nobody was walking mm-hmm. it. Nobody, it was no trail guide. It was just kind of paved over by freeways. There was no, you know, it was, it was difficult. Whereas the Camino in Spain has a separate yeah. separate path. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try the route in Spain. And so I did, and I walked it in March 2011. And it was actually going to start tearing up just remembering it. But it was really one of the best things I've ever done, you know, just to, you know, as I walked from Burgos, which is for me about 19 days to, to Santiago. Because I didn't think I could do the whole mm-hmm. <laughs> 500 miles of the front fifth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just such a touching experience. And I came back and I didn't want to stop walking. And I thought, yeah. why don't we have something like that here? Um, and, you know, there's Pacific Crest Trail. There is some kind of coastal walks. But those are kind of, those are kind of things that are sure. really, that require a lot of preparation and really difficult. And, you know, at this point, the Community Real does, require prep, but mm-hmm. you can also just, you know, if you follow the the route that I outlined, you can also just walk out your door <laughs> or, you know, if you live, I mean, for me at least, sure. <laughs> you live in the path, you know, or, you know, the idea is that you can just, you, you can walk a couple stages of it, you know, you can get to know your state in a way that gains new perspective, see it differently, you know, if you walk the route for like four or five days, you know, at most places, you'll get to see, you know, farmland or, but also cities and industrial areas, just such a mishmash of, <laughs> uh, of things. And it's unlike in Spain, it's, you know, you're on a separate path mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody on the road is kind of walking for the same purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, here it's a bit different, but it's still, you know, I was able to take my, you know, mental infrastructure, I guess, that I learned, you know, in Spain, which is like how to walk that far, mm-hmm. how to think about walking and what experiences to kind of expect and to open yourself up, be able to open myself up to uh, those experiences. So, you know, I, I started walking here with some friends and I, I walked from Mission Dolores to Mission Center, fell with a few friends one day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just, you know, try and do the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. or try, try and walk it. And my friend Sue was like, sure, you should totally <laughs> do it. You know, and I was like, that's crazy. And she's like, no, you can totally do it. 
And then, you know, eventually I, you know, decided to do it. And she thought, she said, I meant, I meant like once, like <laughs> one stage a month <laughs> over like two years. But at that point, I was kind of sold on the idea of doing a through hike, the yeah. whole thing. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not really an extreme person. You know, I'm not into extreme for the sake of extreme, but I, you know, you kind of build up to it. And um, so I went ahead and decided to start mapping it. I'm interested in having a little bit more background on the missions themselves. And, you know, like you, I spent my early childhood in California. And when Mm -hmm. I read your bio on your website about learning about California's missions in elementary school, I smiled because I remembered Uh these like newsletter kind of things that we got every month in school. And I feel like Junipero Serra was like as as prominent and American for me when I was in elementary school as George Washington. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for those uh, who are listening who didn't grow up in California, could you describe the missions of California and the the role they play in California's collective imagination? In the mid 1700s, the Spanish crown uh, decided that they needed to colonize California as a sort of a bulwark against the Russians who were coming down from, they were hunting otters and they were coming down and they're actually Fort Ross yeah. uh, is actually Fort Roos. That's how you actually <laughs> pronounce it. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but you know, they were kind of making their way down and they were, they didn't really care about much except for otter pellets as it turned out, but it was them and the English that the Spanish were worried about. And it was sort of the waning days of the empire. Mm-hmm. They had a huge, huge, you know, South America, Central America, you know, Mexico, a huge empire to kind of control. And from my understanding is that they were trying to colonize California on a budget, so they decided to go with, <laughs> I mean, the Franciscan missionaries. <laughs> yeah. And they arrived in San Diego in 1769, and their mission was to establish a series of compounds mm-hmm. along California. Uh, we call them missions, but what they really are, I guess, is kind of an enclosed area that includes everything you need to survive. Like, you know, you'd have tallow, uh, that's, it's some of the missions you can see, that's a tallow they used for making candles. They mm-hmm. had gardens, they had animal, they had cattle and sheep, leather making, blacksmithing, so everything you kind of need. And they also, of course, had a church. Mm-hmm. And so that what they were charged with doing was establishing these missions. And the people that they were supposed to use to build these missions were the people that were here, the first peoples, uh, various tribes in California. And what I learned in sixth grade very long time ago, the Spanish essentially forced, in many cases, forced the Native Americans to to build these missions against their will. And there's, um, I was actually told this by Spanish nuns. That was our order, which I was, and this was in the early 80s, so I was pretty surprised that they were yeah. Actually, <laughs> put it like that. But what do you recall of your mission education? Of my mission education, uh, or, you know, or your uh, yeah, California history. I remember just memorizing the entire network of missions. So you know, mm-hmm. I could do it from south to north. I could remember, you know, Father Sarah sort of spreading the good word and basically helping to mm-hmm. build build the sort of foundational infrastructure that would tie California together. And then somewhere in there, I get mixed up and I start thinking about Jedediah Smith wrestling bears. And that's where it, <laughs> that's where it gets tangled. But, but yeah, right. I, I mean, for, but I, I see your point though, about like, you don't really get into a lot of the mechanics of it. It's more this sort of idyllic notion of these mm-hmm. missions in really beautiful places and swallows flying past that sort of thing and yes, um, swallows, yes. <laughs> but nothing nothing too technical 
our idea of California history is kind of seems kind of frozen a little bit in that Spanish era. I think that the Spanish and kind of lionized their efforts because there was a late nineteenth century there there's a romantic movement of settlers, primarily from like kind of well off families in the Northeast who came here and kind of wanted to establish a California identity. Yeah. So they looked back to the Spanish era, and they started restoration efforts to rebuild these missions. And hmm. apparently Abraham Lincoln called them the Pyramids of the West. Wow. Uh, and so they kind of became, yeah, six in the imagination. Then in the 1914, a mm-hmm. uh, women's club decided to fix a certain route for the Camino Real. It changed with the weather, so it wasn't like a, a like a single path that we think of today. But they, as part of like a civic pride, they proposed this path and they proposed the bells that we mm. see today. Yeah. And the uh, I guess the California State Legislature adopted it, and so that kind of became the Camino Real. But what we don't talk about is the other side of the Sarah equation, which is the people that were forced to build these missions. And I think that's yeah. I think for me, the history seems very staid. I think it's because we're not really telling the whole story. It's a complicated issue, but I think we what, really, what happened at these places was pretty terrible in a lot of cases. Yep. And I think that what would be helpful as we walk down these roads, you know, as you walk down the Camino Real, to you know, learn about what happened, to to hold the bad things in your heart as well as the good things, because that's what we do every day. You know, we have bad memories, we have bad things that happen to us, we have good things that happen to us, and I think, you know, we have to contemplate them all, and I think, you know, it helps us to acknowledge that these things happened and kind of give voice to them. I would also add that, you know, you know, before the Spanish were here, for many, many, many thousands of years, there were Native Americans that created lots of these paths. You know, before the Spanish got here, there were paths that went from California over to Texas and down to, you know, as the Aztec empires. There's actually a, in I think it's Mission San Luis Rey, there's kind of an Aztec-looking statue or two there that, you know, I wonder, you know, that they're not sure how it got there. And so there was lots of life before that um, that's not talked about. There was a lot happening before the Spanish got here for many thousands of years. And when the Spanish did arrive, they followed parts of these paths. Mm-hmm. Either they hired guides or they forced them to take them up the paths. So, you know, in a way we're treading we're all treading trails that are thousands and thousands of years old, and I think that's really awe-inspiring. And I think we can also look at what happened after the Spanish left. There's, you know, so many ways of immigration, so much has happened afterward, you know, and we also can look at, you know, things that we see today along the route. Like, you know, when I walked in the Salinas Valley, I saw farm workers that, you know, were inhaling pesticides, you know, Mm. and it reminded me so much of the Jodes and Steinbeck and you know, how not much has changed in the last 70 years. So there's so, there's so much to contemplate, and I think we kind of cheat ourselves by just thinking only of the Spanish and only of this trip in terms of, you know, that 60 years that the Spanish were here. That's really interesting, and it definitely speaks to the levels of history that are apparent on the route and throughout California. And it's a great thing to be able to live that history and to also fundamentally rethink the present through that walk. So let's talk about how you put that walk together. You noted that sure. the, the route had been set up, formalized in, in a way in the early 20th century. But of course, as, as things stood in the 21st century, as you were piecing this together, you knew what the missions were. So you had Mm-hmm. Have those points in place, but how did you go about piecing together the rest of the route? You know, it was pretty hodgepodge. Um, <laughs> I took trail map. I looked at city maps, Google Maps, which is helpful. 
And, you know, I have knowledge from just living here for almost all my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, having traveled up and down the state, my grandparents lived in L.A. So I, I spent a lot of time down there as well. So just kind of personal knowledge of kind of what the, the route might be. Mm-hmm. I guess my starting point was the old Camino Rail, like the Camino that was, Rail that was set in 1914. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and it turns out that, you know, freeways are built over <laughs> quite a bit of quite a bit of it. Yeah. So where do you walk? Where do you walk? I also found that, you know, like, you know, the 101 is built along waterways, which is really interesting. You know, that's that's where people existed before, you know, mm-hmm. that they needed water. And so now we're just kind of following that same path. You know, I was able to find roads that were close to the Camino Real, if not on it. And so there is, the road goes through a lot of, diff- the path goes through a lot of different landscapes. And, and I ended up driving most of it to mm-hmm. make sure that I could walk where I thought I could walk because there's nothing worse than going on a trail and getting there and having to turn back, even a mile. Yeah. God forbid you should turn. <laughs> you, should just, <laughs> you should lose a mile for some reason. So it turned out there were some places that I thought were walkable, but there weren't in Sonoma. Um, there was a nice road that I thought went over the hill, you know, and you could avoid the, the freeway, but it turns out that that's on private property. Yeah. So... Uh, I ended up walking on the 116, which is has a wide shoulder, but it's not ideal. It's kind mm-hmm. of a highway. Um, in the future, they're going to have the Bay Trail going along right by the water there, hmm. by San Pablo Bay, but that's a few years off. So I went through the whole, you know, the state pretty much and kind of tested, you know, what I had thought would be a walkable place against, you know, the actual scouting. And it turns out there were maybe one place that I couldn't walk, maybe spot in total, maybe about 15 miles out of the whole about 800. So that's not too bad. Wow. Yeah. Are there some stretches that stand out for being memorable in a very positive and scenic way? Yeah, there's quite a few stretches that are really gorgeous. There's, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed walking from Santa Cruz to Watsonville. Hmm. It's mostly coastal walking and you can kind of have the choice of going on the streets. So they actually have rails to the trails path there. Nice. You can walk along the, the old trestles, which actually, if you're scared of heights, I would not recommend it. And I'm slightly <laughs> scared of heights. So it was, there was some like, <laughs> you know, and the ties are, you know, they're like eight inches apart. So yeah. you know, you're up like 50 feet, you wow. know, and you know, if you're not used to it, it's a little bit frightening. My friend is less scared of heights than I am and she was bounding across them. But, um, you know, it's still a, a great experience. Um, and then we walk, you know, we walked through the Elkhorn Slough over there. Mm. We walked through strawberry fields hmm. and the coast is just gorgeous that's one of my favorite uh there's beach walking as well like on on the sand that's just a calming and except for the trestles <laughs> it's a calming <laughs> relaxing part of it i also really like san Simon bautista mm-hmm. uh which is a town it's maybe like 10 miles or so in from santa cruz and it's a historic little jewel of the town it just makes me weep it's so adorable and you know you spend the night there and then you go over the hill and there's this this beautiful mountain trail that winds into the salinas valley so that was a gorgeous day one of the you know there's southern california there's definitely a lot of uh there's some beach walking from san juan capistrano to san diego Mm -hmm. la is a little bit of a (laughs) <laughs> LA, LA is where you find a reason. That's where you dig deep in your soul. <laughs> and you find something to like about where you're walking. It's, it's actually was a good exercise. A lot of it is just suburbs and it's, it's pretty mm. grating. But there are, so when you, when you see things like the Whittier Greenway Trail, you really appreciate it. You know, and when you finally get to San Juan Capistrano, you really, you're so happy to be there. I think the, 
section that actually affected me most was walking through the Salinas Valley, so from Monterey to King City. And that was hmm. that was walking through farmland for about four days. And I don't yeah. I don't know if you've ever walked through farmland for any amount of time, but it's really incredible to be walking through hundred thousand heads of broccoli. And I mean the <laughs> smell of I mean it's like it's intense broccoli, <laughs> you know, everywhere. Yeah. And strawberry fields, farm after farm, and it smells like strawberry lip gloss, which I don't know if you're familiar with. <laughs> but it smells exactly like this kind of artificial strawberry smell that, you know, but it's for real. And it, it's incredible to see the scale of farms there. And, you know, this is, they count themselves as the lettuce capital of the world. I think they produce 70% of the lettuce that America eats. So you're walking through and it's windy, you know, so it's, it's not too hot there. It's um, very pleasant. And then, you know, then I, when we were walking through and just kind of marveling at it. Then we got to the Dole processing plant, and we looked down and we saw black water in the gutter, and we were like, what is that? Is that like some sort of mineral or iron in the soil, or is it, you know, pesticides and God knows what? So that was a little disconcerting. And then we kept walking, and right next door to it was Earthbound Organic Farms, which is, you know, what Safeway's brand. And Mm. so Dole is definitely spraying, and the organic farm's right next to it. So that was a lesson. You know, you're seeing that things that you think are are safe, maybe not not that safe. Mm. And we kept going and we saw farm workers, basically Latino from Central America, Mexico. And they all, you know, they were working out there. They just had their rags tied around their heads. We could feel the pesticides in our eyes. Mm. You know, it was a dry, talky feeling. And, you know, we, we were just walking through and, you know, they're breathing this stuff in all the time. There's actually a pretty high birth defect rate in the area. I later found out, and you, you walk, keep walking, and you see these, you know, when you do see the trucks, you'll see the pesticide trucks go by, you'll see, like, skull and crossbones right on the, right by the heads, <laughs> right by the food that's being shipped out all around the country, you know, and it says, do not enter, food's been sprayed. They're telling you you can't even get near it, you know. Yeah. It's pretty disconcerting. And then we <laughs> went to Salinas, and, you know, there was a couple of incidents we had there, but it was just, just a big math problem in that area. And so, mm. you know, it was just really moving, I guess, you know, you're, you're seeing these people that are seeing mm-hmm. the same thing. That's, you know, they're not getting paid much. They're doing, doing that backbreaking work. The same thing that's been ha- that was happening in, you know, Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, which probably every high school student in California has read. And then you, know, you see the mess and you think like, you know, my God, like there's something else, you know? Um, yeah. So it was kind of a, you know, and there was, there was a moment where this woman who was, you know, on drugs and she was trying to, She's trying to, she's like, oh, you know, she asked me about what I was doing because I clearly had a giant backpack and a flag and I was, you know, uh, <laughs> thank you, what's going on? And so I told her, and she's like, oh, let me try and help you, you know, and she was trying to give me directions to where I need to go. She was very nice, but she couldn't get, she's with her daughter, 15-year-old daughter who, you know, but she couldn't get the words out. Pretty poignant moment. You know, there was some other, there was some really beautiful moments along the walk, but that was the most, one that really, really sticks in my head. For us Americans walking in Spain, you know, we come home with this idyllic sense of what Spain is, mm-hmm. right? We have this sense of this, it's just like this magical land where yes. everyone is happy mm-hmm. and, you know, life is so good. But of and course, wine is cheap. unemployment and in Spain. really good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but unemployment is through the roof yeah. and young people have like no economic opportunities and the country is, is constantly you know, at risk of being torn apart into a bunch Mm -hmm. of different smaller countries. (laughs) So like this is a country that has tons and tons of issues, but we as the foreigners don't see it. But walking in our own country, we're likely to 
see uh, we're likely to come out of it with a a, a more nuanced sense of of what we're actually seeing right right i mean well put i i think you know you i think it's hard to walk the whole route and not see something like that or not notice something and you know you're not going to go blithely through through mm-hmm. the place that you know and and not put your own understanding of our history and our you know our current economic state for those who are who are listening and haven't been scared off by the pesticide mm-hmm. and the meth, <laughs> yeah. and they're still interested in walking El Camino uh-huh. Real, but but let's say that you know because they're listening to this, they primarily have the Camino as their major mm-hmm. reference point. What should they what should they factor into their preparation? Like how should they go about getting ready for a very different kind of walk? Uh, okay, so I guess you definitely want to use you know all your mental infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, your walk in Spain, you know, your knowledge of how to walk long, pl- you know, long way routes, long ways, and your knowledge of like how to take care of your body and what to expect. I think that that will serve you very well um, because there isn't really infrastructure in place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no albergues, there's no uh, doctors, no hospitaleros or support staff. So probably the biggest challenge is to figure out, you know, where you're going to stay along the road. And in some places there are, you don't have a choice. You'll have to walk, you know, there's only like one place to stay at each end and maybe you have to walk 15 miles or 20 miles. You can't just stop, you know, every three or four miles and up where you end up. You yeah. have to be, I, you know, I kind of recommend planning. If you're, if you're going to do the whole thing in one shot, I would you know, definitely recommend planning, looking at the route and mapping out key dates where you'll, where you'll be at certain places. Mm-hmm. And I should back up and say that I had to organize a mix of lodging. In some places, it was hostels, campgrounds, whenever, wherever I could, because I, especially because I wanted this to be as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, hostels, hotels. Sometimes I stayed at a convent. Hmm. Um, I stayed at a couple. I stayed at a couple missions and friends' houses. That was hmm. very helpful to have. <laughs> really yep. cut down on costs. Um, and people were so generous. You know, this is this is one thing you'll get that you that you also see in Spain. I mean. I'm going to cheer up again, but, you know, people just came out of the woodwork to help me, mm-hmm. um, you know, friends to give me a place to stay. And even along the route, one guy went to the store and brought me, you know, we were walking for, you know, happening walking along the same road. He went to the store and got, bought me a bunch of snacks. Wow. Just, I didn't ask him to do that. Um, yeah. And they were unopened. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he was just, he was trying to like, you know, trying to be, you know, helpful. And, you know, people were just, I think one of the best things I got, you know, out of this route is, you know, having the feeling that like I can knock on people's doors and you'll you'll get help, and people are it kind of restored my faith in humanity a bit. Hmm. So that was a big gift. So lodging, that's probably your biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the Camino in Spain, there's not like a separate path. It's gravel or rock. You'll have to walk on all kinds of surfaces. So there's, there's a lot more, a lot harder. Uh, there's yeah. no cobblestones, which is good, as I hear that there are <laughs> Portuguese route. But prepare for a lot of concrete. There is also, yeah. of course, there's some trails. There are, you know, there's sand in some places. There's some border box train tracks or converted train tracks when you can. You know, and there's also cars. It can, sometimes there will be on highways and that can be a little bit nerve-wracking. It would be great if there was a separate path for this. I guess there's a beauty in not following a prescribed path, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a path that's set aside, but being able to walk along these different roads and through different communities where, you know, there's not, you maybe aren't expected or maybe it's, a, they're unexpected to you. So I think there's an element of discovery there that, that can be meaningful. You won't meet other pilgrims. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, actually there's, there's people that are doing this walk more. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think like, I think people might be used to seeing people with backpacks more a, a bit along some of these roads. You know, I guess it makes, helps you be more outgoing and you'll enjoy, you know, the friends of friends that help you out. So you kind of look for that fellowship in other places, maybe less expected yeah. places. It is more expensive because, you know, there's no alberg share and they're not 10 bucks a night. You know, there's... Sure. I think I estimated about, you know, for two months, it would cost me about 3500 maybe less, maybe 3000 mm-hmm. which, you know, is not bad considering you're, you know, that's that's what you would pay for room and board. But, you know, I, I, so many, it's, a lot, it's a lot more difficult in a lot of ways, but, you know, there's so many times I was walking along the route that I was, you know, just so moved and just so happy to be doing that. Like, I can't believe this is my life. Hmm. Like, <laughs> but I get to walk around <laughs> these highways. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, it might sound, it sounds a little harsh, and but it, it really is incredibly rewarding. So I would, you know, mm. recommend that even if you don't, doing the whole thing in one shot, it's a lot of planning and a lot of time. But, you know, on my trail guide, I, you know, recommend like some, you know, certain sections that you can do that aren't so trying, you know, maybe the Santa Cruz to Monterey section, you know, the section in LA from San Juan Capistrano to San Diego. There's, so there's ways you can kind of have that experience without having to go whole hog for two months. Yeah, and so where can people find uh, your information if they want to check it out? Oh, well, they can go to walkelcaminoreal.com. Mm-hmm. And so I created a free trail guide because I guess in the spirit of the Camino, I wanted to make this free mm-hmm. uh, anybody that wanted to access it. So on there, you'll find information about each leg of, you know, I kind of divided it up into 21 legs. Uh, each leg has, or sorry, 20 legs rather. Uh, each leg has you know, route information, maps, food, lodging, um, and just warnings about heat or anything else to watch out for. And that's, you know, maybe if the road is dangerous, just keep your eyes open. I also talk about how to prepare, and this is maybe for people who have not walked Camino Santiago, mm-hmm. but how to, you know, how to train up, you know, for a long walk. Um, you know, the basic things like weight your pack, you know, try, you know, make sure you get the right shoes. So if you haven't done it before, at least make sure you get the right shoes in the pack and, Make sure you can walk 15 miles at least because, you know, there might be injuries or things that flare up that you might not be aware of. And you want to make sure that you compensate for them or maybe get the right shoes before you go out, you know, walk for a week. Awesome. Stephanie, thanks very much for talking with me about this route. I'm sure there are some people out there listening who are really excited to go check out your website. Feel free to contact me with any questions. My email is on there. And I also have a Facebook page, uh, Walk El Camino Real. Um, I occasionally post thoughts, and I actually do um, walks, mm-hmm. group walks. I did well. I did one rather. Um, basically, that's kind of an exercise to just walk right out of your house mm-hmm. and do do kind of exercises in your neighborhood. So to be able to like see your own block in a new way. Yeah. Like you don't you don't necessarily have to go you know out to somewhere gorgeous or somewhere far to have that experience. You know you can just you can start right where you are. So I'll probably do one of those, you know, five-day exercises where, you know, every day, you know, just we just encourage you to walk like a mile or two, and I provide an exercise uh, for you to think about as you as you walk around. This is being recorded in early June. And today was the last day of school. And it's a great feeling. This now begins the denouement, the final downhill roll to summer vacation. 
I've got some reports to write, some grades to finalize, a few meetings to attend. Otherwise, though, it's pretty much all about pilgrimage now. I'll be finalizing at least two more podcasts prior to departure for my own walk. Hopefully a couple more, depending on how interviews shake out. And I've got some training to do. I know I'm not alone. Many others are gearing up for a very busy summer on the Camino. Are you headed out? Are you, do you have a walk in front of you this summer? I don't suppose you're headed to the Camino del Norte. If so, we may overlap. I'll be starting there on June 25th. And if you think there's a shot of us running into each other, get in touch. I'm going to try to produce a couple of podcasts from the road and would love to connect with you. And that's it for this episode. Thanks to Ron Briery and Steph Dodaro for speaking with me. To connect with Ron, look for the California Mission Walkers group on Facebook. And to find Steph, look for walkingelcaminoreal.com. Check out our Facebook page, too, while you're at it, facebook.com slash CaminoPodcast. And get in touch with us via email at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always for listening. Hope to have another episode up for you soon.